you just fucking run yourself up against a wall, you're pretty much not going to find something new. But if you're running up against a wall for a really long time, then you play a video game and somebody tells you a really beautiful story over a video game, like, fucking great, you just got something out of that day. guys welcome back to the podcast you're listening to let it out with me i'm your host katie dalebout we're gonna get to this episode very quickly because i don't really have much to say right now i talked to robin canner a writer designer living here in brooklyn i met her a couple months ago at previous podcast guest marley grace's book launch reading also in brooklyn and basically fell in love with her there I've been following her on the internet ever since, and we get into all of her work. We talk about writing and design. We also talk about having a gooey, embarrassing heart that feels deeply. We talk about her process. We talk about sobriety and presence. We talk a lot about movies and A Star is Born. We gush. We feel. I recorded this last night, and I'm putting it out this week, so... I am very excited for you to hear it. If you're new to this podcast, thank you so much for listening. I'm glad you're here. If you've been listening for a while, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you at the end. This week's episode is brought to you in part by Emmy's Organics, which is one of my favorite snack brands. They make these delicious treats that satisfy your sweet tooth and they are made from very simple ingredients like organic coconut and almond flour. They don't use anything artificial, no preservatives, no natural flavors. They're certified organic, gluten-free and vegan, grain-free, soy-free, great for on the go. My friend Carolina puts them in her kid's lunch. I love them. They ship nationwide or they're at Whole Foods Market, Sprouts, CVS. They're really everywhere. Emmysorganics.com. You can get 40% off your first order when you use the code Let It Out. That's almost half off, you guys. 40% off at Emmysorganics.com. Use the code Let It Out. They're a certified B Corp, which is considered the highest standard of corporate responsibility. So they really are doing the best work with not just their product, but how they treat their employees. I love this company. I love the founder, Samantha. They've been around since 2009 and they just do things really, really well. I love their snacks, how they taste. I love the people who make them. Please check them out. I think you guys would like them too. Today's episode is supported by one of my favorite brands, Four Sigmatic. Many of you know them and love them already. You might remember I even had the founder on years ago because Taro and I connected even years before that. Back in 2013, I was one of the first American bloggers to try these mushroom superfood products and I've loved them ever since. They make these easy to make, easy to consume mushroom beverages. They have everything from coffees to matchas to chais. I really love the chai. Amanda puts it in her 
oats. I love putting the powders in my yogurt in the morning, although I've also been putting it in my oats now that it's cold outside. Their hot cacao mix is the best. I have been having it almost every day. I mix one hot cacao mix with one of their chai and I make myself a little latte with macadamia nut milk. They're so easy to use. They're great for on the go. You can put them in smoothies. I highly, highly recommend. You can get 15% off your order by heading over to foursigmatic.com slash Katie and using the code Katie at checkout. Again, that's foursigmatic.com slash Katie, K-A-T-I-E, and use the code Katie, K-A-T-I-E, at checkout. I suggest, you know, checking out their products and their website. They also even have a Mushroom Academy where you can learn more about mushrooms. It's completely free. And listen to my episode with Tarot, too if you want to know more. I love these products so much. If you have any questions about them, let me know and enjoy. You're from the Midwest. You were born in Columbus, but you grew up in Maine. What was your childhood like? What were you like as a kid? My childhood was peculiar, I guess I would say. It was me, my mom, my sister, and my father. My father was diagnosed with MS when I was in kindergarten, I think. Mm so hard so pretty much like every year he lost mobility I have a sister she's a year and a half older than me um totally different than me she's like got like straight A's in high school went to like a nice college um got a job has like a husband and three kids whereas I sort of did the exact opposite of that where I sort of like crashed my th- way through high school crashed my way through college and just generally sort of lucked out is <laughs> probably the best way to put it. Yeah. But you guys are close now, you said? Yeah, we're pretty tight now. We'll have a conversation. And it's like really good. I think we both dealt with my father's passing very differently. Yeah. And because of that, I think we were relatively disjointed for a while. Mm. Yeah. But I just went up there for Christmas and it was really nice. Mm, that's great. Yeah. It's so interesting how relationships with family transform and change and and grow as we do and then we see them in a different way but we're also kind of the same we kind of revert to how we were when we were kids and totally and that's like a whole fascinating thing yeah it was a rocky go of it but now it's cool like now it's like i have a life i'm very content with my life they have their lives they're very content with it so it's pretty nice now but it wasn't always that way Yeah. yeah were you always writing when you were a kid were you always creative how did you how did you get into design and writing it was an ego thing to be honest with you i like most decisions in my life were very ego driven i didn't make anything in high school or like i wasn't like a kid who draw or wrote or anything basically played basketball like every day in my upbringing and then i accidentally graduated high school early and i was working at this job i was working at a wendy's in waterville maine and basically, my life was like 4 p.m. to 1 a.m. at a Wendy's flipping burgers. And I just wanted to do something that nobody else there could. Mm. That was really it. Like, I really wanted to be able to have a skill that they didn't have. So I went home and I taught myself Photoshop and Illustrator and photography. And that's how I pushed into it. I didn't get into writing probably until I was like 25 maybe. I'm 31 now, so I've been writing for like six years. Did you think about playing basketball in college? No, because by the time I got into college, I was working on a queer identity. There's an infamous story in my childhood where it was like my freshman year of playing basketball. 
we were playing this away game and I was like relentlessly teased for being queer. Um, so this kid kept calling me like a faggot every single day. And basically we were like losing this game on the road and we were in the halftime and like there was this kid just yelling at me. And when we went out for the third quarter and the coach was like, go in. I just looked at him. I was like, nah, dude. And I left. <laughs> so from there, I just stopped playing basketball, um, but I still watch it now. And who knows where that kid's life is, but yeah. 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 Mm. No, it was actually kind of, it was probably my first punk rock moment to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> because it really sort of like, was the first time that I set ground rules for like how I was going to live in the world and how I was going to be treated. And wow. it was sort of just like, that wasn't it. Yeah. Um, so it was pretty cool. Do you, I'm in, I'm so interested and I love how much you love basketball because I like basketball as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. Do you play like recreationally or like for fun now? Uh, I used to. I don't really now. I run a lot now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I run a ton now. Yeah. My grandfather, I just want to tell you this, yeah, yeah. used to coach basketball in oh, cool. the, uh, at Michigan State, and he recruited Whoa. Magic Johnson. Oh, right. That's right. That's incredible. Yeah. He just died recently, so it's like yeah, he's very yeah. like saw, in yeah. my space and like on, on my mind. That's wild. Yeah, and it was a really interesting, I'll, I'll tell you about it later, yeah. but he actually did my podcast like in 2013 That's when amazing. I first started. He's a really interesting guy, yeah. and when he died, I gave the eulogy, and there were so many, it was like my biggest speaking gig. Like, oh. <laughs> probably wow. I will ever yeah, have yeah. but it's wow. interesting because I've just been thinking a lot about basketball and the sport and sure. Magic Johnson made this tweet that was like the reason I came to Michigan State was was Gus Kanakis because my grandpa got let go right before yeah. he was able to coach him and yeah. so it was this like kind of wow. interesting tumultuous thing and it's the coolest sport it just it just it really is. is yeah I mean yeah. I grew up like a Chicago Bulls fan and like my dad used to tape like the end of the games for me to watch when I woke mm. up in the morning. I just was always like a super huge basketball fan. Wow. And I'm probably like, I watch a game every day at this point. Is it yeah. the team element that you think is really cool about it? What do you like about it? I like everything. I mean, I like the sport itself. I like the personalities that we have currently in the, the league right now. The NBA is like the most progressive league in the like the sports world. How so? Well, I mean, the, the commissioner, Adam Silver, he's like been very clear that players should be able to do whatever they want and say whatever they want. Whereas the NFL is like, you can't kneel and you can't do this. Mm, and so there's like, right. there's sort of a lot of traditions in baseball too. And basketball sort of is just like, be a person. Like, oh. like you're from like, wherever be with that person. I didn't really ever put that together. That's really yeah, cool. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. I, I just think it's like, I mean, LeBron now, I mean, everything about him is like equality. Like, it's as weird as it was for me to be like queer playing basketball and what, you know, 2002 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, the league's like way better now. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't really follow the NBA much I've, because I would follow college because yeah, yeah, yeah. of my grandpa. But now I want to totally. <laughs> after hearing yeah, yeah. this. I'm like, this would be an interesting thing to, yeah. interesting hobby, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's so many lessons with every player. It's cool. I love drawing inspiration from things outside of your industry or yeah, outside totally. of, like, I can't listen to any other, like, yeah. young white people who have podcasts. No, <laughs> like, no, no, no. I yeah. listen to comedy podcasts yeah, yeah. or other other things. But with basketball, I heard or read that you love Michael Jordan and listening yeah, yeah. to Michael Jordan interviews. And All I'm the, the same time. way with like yeah. different things. I'll like go down a rabbit hole yeah. of like oh, yeah. one person and like yeah. listen to, do you have like a lesson or a piece of inspiration from Michael Jordan that you can Dude, share Michael right Jordan. now? Yeah. I mean, my favorite Michael Jordan story is he was, <laughs> I keep, we were talking about basketball, <laughs> but, um, warming up the mics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
basically somebody asked him if he was ever nervous about taking the game winning shot. And Michael Jordan was like, no, I'm never nervous. And the guy was like, you have to be nervous. And Michael was like, he's like, no. Cause the fact is like, I've practiced that shot millions of times. Mm. By the time I take that shot, I'm not thinking about the mechanics of it. I'm just taking the shot. Um, he's not sort of thinking about what it means to shoot the shot or will he make it? Will he not? Where, where his muscles go? He's not worried about any of the technicalities. He's just doing this thing by muscle memory to that idea of like practice has stayed super in my mind because you know especially with like writing when something happens like that is sort of like a a hit moment in culture like you only got like 12 hours to bust out like the most like epic think piece that you can come up with and for me i like to get to the place where like i just write it like i'm not really thinking about structure i'm not really thinking about Mm -hmm. it i just want to be able to write it in that moment because it's basically like who gets the best take versus what's going to do well so there's like a a weirdly competitive element of that and it's like anything in life it's like relationships it's conversation we're all improving and it's like if i think about how i should be interviewing right now i miss the interview or if i think about how i should be relating to someone i mess it up it's like when you can just learn stuff take stuff in and then you have to let it go totally just be yeah yeah and you can be conscious of other stuff too i mean i'm I'm in acting school now oh cool weird fact but like a thing that we talk about in acting class a lot is the fact that like once you memorize your lines you can just act Mm -hmm. like you're not really searching for the line in your head anymore you can just like convey what you need to on your facial expressions or your hand movements or like playing off your scene partner you're just not worried about what your next line is going to be so there is this element of practice that's super important to making yeah it's like it's practice and then it's presence like you throw away the practice and you yeah, just have to be there. there yeah so let's go back into into your story to get up to the present so yeah. you've worked for a lot of big companies mm-hmm. like amazon and new balance and i read you almost joined hillary clinton's staff and it yeah. seems like you've been able to weave creativity throughout your career in these really interesting ways so what were some of your early jobs and and what did they teach you so my i freelanced a lot in the beginning i made albums but i would say Album art? Yeah. I, cool. I did, like There was like 2008, 2011. I did like 60 albums. Like I designed wow. like a ton of albums in that time. Wow. Yeah. And I, I had a job working at this magazine in Maine. That I, th- I think it's already, I think it went under. But it was for this guy who was like this like music mogul who had moved to Maine. He was actually a little bit of an odd guy. Um, but I learned a lot in that in that space because he was basically like this guy had like a lot of money and he was just like make some stuff and so there was no traditional lineup of like an art director and designer it was just sort of like you're doing the thing so i did everything from write to design to edit to do all these weird things so i liked that gig for the, the sake of the independence probably learned a lot yeah i also learned a lot of like what i don't want to be <laughs> like yeah. in that room there were some moments in that conversations that i had that I was like, I don't want to be these people. There's like small little moments where I saw how they treated people. I saw how they just sort of like, I remember this one day, <laughs> this one day the IRS came to the office and I was in a, I was in a lunchroom with him and uh, basically my job was to like be really friendly and like eat with him and chill. Um, and make Is it money. just you and him? That and like four other people. Okay. Uh, like a rotating cast of four other people. I was there for... Like two years though. So you were really young. This is like your one of your first. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm okay. like, yeah, very young. And 
I remember that like IRS just came to the office. <laughs> That's and, jarring. Like, the secretary was like, hey, the IRS is here. And the boss was like, just tell them to leave. And they're like, they're not leaving. <laughs> we ended up hiding out in this lunchroom. Oh my God. <laughs> we're like, and I, he played it chill. But there was a moment there where I was just like, I'm going to do my taxes. <laughs> <laughs> This is one thing I learned at that moment. I was just like, that's not really what I want to be. I'm into my taxes. Yeah, this is stressful. Yeah. I'm going to handle yeah. I'm going to eat this pizza because I think like a lot was going on in my mind because it's 21 or something like that. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, I know what my job is. And my job is to drink with this guy, make jokes, and um, hopefully talk about music. Sometimes. Yeah, and learn what I don't want. And learn what I don't yeah. want. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, it was wild. So from there, you're working with that guy. You worked at Wendy's. You learned, You taught yeah. yourself Photoshop. You taught yourself yeah. design. And then eventually, we get up to the present where now you're freelance writing and yeah. designing. But yeah. you worked at a lot of companies and did a lot of things yeah. in between there. Yeah. And eventually, you moved to somewhere in there. You moved to both Seattle and then New York. Yeah. Bring us up to the transition from full-time to freelance. It's been interesting. I mean, I freelanced before. It was My first job was freelancing. And I liked it because it sort of like let me know that if all else fails, I can make money by myself. That was a huge thing for me. I would say now it is a little different in the sense that I'm a little bit older and my life is different. I mean, I'm 31 and I don't have health insurance and I'm still sort of working out of this dream of like, I can do what I want to do, which is sort of naive in a lot of ways, right? Like it's sort of weird, but it's what I really like. I know I'll probably have to get a job soon. I'm okay with that. I'm pretty okay with that, but I've also made some really cool things that I don't think I would have been able to do if I had a job. The piece for The Atlantic that I wrote on detransitioning, like there had been no way that I could have dropped my whole life to spend two days to write that. And I mean, there was just so many other things like that. So you think you'll get a, a full-time job because it's too challenging to support yourself doing just your creative work or you don't want to have to put the pressure on the creative work to support you financially? I think that that's a future problem. I know it exists in my mind, but I, it also does me no good to worry about it. Totally. So it's one of those worlds where like right now, it's like I wake up and I do my what, I'm, what my work is. Yeah. So I have like a steady freelance clientele right now. I have stuff going on, but I know that if like in three weeks that shit dries up, then I have a different conversation to have in my mind. Yeah. And I live in this world of like, don't bother trouble and know when a problem is actually a problem. Good for you. Yeah. That's It's like a mental clarity that takes a long time to get to. Is that contagious? Because I need that. Because <laughs> well, I'm constantly like future worrying. Yeah, yeah. No, those are future problems. I can't do anything about future. This is I don't have control over that. Have you always been no, like this? No, no. How do I do this? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, for me, it was sobriety. That's yeah. what got me there. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. I want to talk about that. Let's yeah. stay in this vein of freelancing yeah, first yeah. before we do. What advice do you have for organization? You do writing and design yeah. and have all these clients. Do you have any organization tips or routines or apps that help you? Yeah. I don't use the notes app. I use this app called Bear and I, I have my whole life. Bear, like the animal? Yeah. yeah. My whole life is on that app. I like the, the real things that I do is I wake up in the morning, I meditate, I drink coffee. I go downstairs and get coffee and talk to the person there. I do my emailing generally before I do any work. And I just try to focus and know when my brain's burnt out. When I was working on client, like when I do client work, it's kind of nice because I'm not thinking about my own self super hard, but doing the projects that I have been doing, like Princess Secrets and some other stuff, like that requires a ton of work on your mind and you can't do that work for 20 hours a day. Mm -hmm. I, I just go crazy when I do it. But the tips that, that I have is just to balance it, like 
maybe write for an hour and then do design for a couple hours and do something for somebody else for a couple hours and do your own thing for the rest mm. of the night. Yeah. I like that pattern of waves so I don't get too bogged down in the thing. I have some granular questions. What time are you waking up and what kind of meditation? Wow. Uh, I do mindfulness meditation. Okay. I do it in the morning and the evening. Um, usually the morning is a light session. The evening is a longer one. I usually wake up around seven pretty much. Yeah. Um, and I usually go to sleep around like, 12 or one mm. yeah you're a prolific writer and i want to talk about a couple of the pieces that you've written yeah. but how did you develop that skill you talked a bit about how you taught yourself photoshop and design did you work with editors or coaches and you know i'd love to know some of your routines yeah. for writing it's interesting i did it the same way that i did design in the sense that i just had to read a lot like i had to like learn how people write sentences because mm -hmm. sentences are very hard to write like, sentences are like they're very challenging. So for me, it was a lot of just reading a book, like reading the sentence and then just sort of deconstructing it, mm -hmm. asking like sort of the five W's of like what, why, where, breaking out like the real point of a paragraph. And then writing it has been interesting because I've always been a lyrical writer. That's just sort of my style mm -hmm. of prose. And it comes out in how I write a lot. I can write straightforward things and I don't mind it, but I like a, I like a poetic sort of punch in a lot of the stuff yeah. that I write. I get that just from listening to so much music over my life and reading poetry and stuff like that. Who are some of your favorite writers? Hanya Yanagihara. Uh, she wrote A Little Life. That book just floored me. Um, I don't know, have you read it? Mm -mm. Um, a Little Life is about four men in New York City, Jude, Malcolm, Willem, and JB. And it sort of follows Jude's life and trauma. Um, cool. It's like an 800 page book, so it's like a big one. Yeah. But uh, I am floored by Hanya's writing. Cool. Like, she's just incredible. Um, she got called out a lot for like kind of writing paint porn, but I just never saw it like that. When did it, this come out? It's like two years ago. Oh, two wow. or three years ago. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I love Hanya. Sucker for some David Foster Wallace. Yeah. Noah's garbage. Very aware. Still like it. A lot of the writing that I get is from film. I love Matt Damon's writing, mm. strangely enough. And then the ones that I get from musicians, I mean, I always love Sean Marshall of Cat Power, big Jeff Buckley fan, Elliot Smith. So that's sort of where like the lyrical side comes about it. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Do you write just for sharing or do you also do you journal do you write just for yourself yeah i write for myself pretty much every day i have i write fear and resentments when i write mm. so my morning pages look something like i have resentment at blank because i fear that blank will happen wow wait say yeah. that again i have resentment at blank because i fear that blank will happen can you give an example yeah. I'm sorry to put you on the spot, no, but I'm going to like add this to my yeah. morning pages. I have resentment at design because I fear that I could have made something better with my time. Mm. I fear that it could have had a bigger impact on the world. I fear that I should have made a different decision than the one that I did. So yeah, that's based on my morning pages. Wow. I yeah. love that. I feel like yeah. we have very similar temperament and yeah. that we feel a lot of feelings and feel things way up totally. here and yeah. way down here. and that's a good exercise for people totally. who are, you know, yeah, in, yeah. in our heads. Yeah. What about writing routines when it comes to you have, like you're writing the piece for the Atlantic sure. or broadly or whatever you're working yeah. on. Do you outline, do you sit down and give yourself like, I have to work on this for 20 minutes. Do you yeah. come back to it? What are kind of your writing routines when you're like putting something out? I usually write in diners, weirdly enough. 
Like you have to get out of your apartment? Yeah, for the first bit of it. The Atlantic piece I wrote in this diner called TikTok in Manhattan, uh, Midtown. I wrote it there because I had class at the time, Upper East Side. So it was just like the place that I could go and write. Typically speaking, I don't outline the first draft. I basically puke out as many thoughts as I can on the first draft. um, And then find the structure from there. Like you write the full like 3000 word, like this is my feeling. This is my feeling. This is my feeling. This is my feeling. And then being like, well, these feelings are kind of similar. That's too subjective. That doesn't matter. Or this is the one. Like a puzzle. Kind yeah. Of. yeah. So I definitely probably write like three to four drafts of things that I do. Wow. Yeah. So the Atlantic piece was, it was a very labor intensive writing. I think it's like 2000 words, but I wrote it quick. It was like three drafts in maybe three days. Versus the sobriety piece, which I spent like six months on. For the Atlantic piece, were those three drafts vastly different or like minor changes? First to second was vastly different. Second to third was minor. Okay. Yeah. Second to third was adding and like, it would be really great if we had a scene here. It would be really good if we could put this thing here. First to second, it was like, here's my feelings yeah and then just sort of this editor was that work so that was working with an editor yeah yeah, and like totally yeah Yeah, yeah. there's i whenever i oh yeah yeah it's such a it's such a transformative experience than working on something on your own what advice do you have for writers (laughs) right thing that i have a hard time with is just putting something down I think sometimes writers are potentially afraid to write what they actually want to write. Sometimes, and I, I'm guilty of this too, or I'll wrap up a thing in a, like a very vague metaphor to just say what I really want to say. Mm. And if I'm lucky, editor calls me out and they're just like, what is that? Just say what yeah. you want to say. So yeah, I would just say to write, just like when, you, when you're trying to say something, just say it. It's kind of interesting. It's like with acting, you have to, actors talk about this a lot where you have to be asked to do your sure. craft where with yeah. writing you can just do it yeah. but also that experience of working with an editor you can't really just do and that's so valuable yeah. of like like you were saying you know you might not have that mirrored back to you that you were writing a metaphor that doesn't really totally. need to be a metaphor yeah, yeah, yeah. so i mean i guess that's like maybe hi- having a friend read your work totally. or having yeah. like being in a writing circle or something yeah i don't know just yeah i'm really sure that I, I i don't I don't always have an editor who will like sit down and really edit throughout stuff. But for the most part, I have friends that will read it and just yeah. be like, okay, there's a thing. I remember I wrote this, not to drag them. I wrote this for the cut a few months ago and the the editor like never even responded. Like mm. just like asked me to write it and then like didn't respond. And I was like really annoyed about it. And I was just like, why didn't you respond? And she just said, well, I, I just didn't have time to give you notes and edit because she was like running up on a deadline. And I was like, annoyed and then i thought about it and i was just like yeah well because your job is hard and you have to sit and edit things and yeah if you're curating five writers like five that's a lot of work so i don't know i mean it's a it's a hard world yeah yeah i wrote that i talked about this in an episode somewhat recently but i wrote this ep- essay a couple years ago for refinery 29 and my editor there was so lovely and it was kind of like yeah. you were saying with it took us like six months maybe to work on this and I was so ha- grateful that she like spent the time with me, but yeah. there was this one moment where I felt so small because yeah. she said to me, she was like, honestly, I don't have the time and the resources to give you the editing and coaching you need on this. You're just sure. not there yet. Yeah. And I kept going, I kept working on it. It eventually yeah. got published. And then once it got published, I got such a hit of dopamine sure. from that. Cause yeah. it like, I wrote about 
something that kind of struck a chord with people sure. and it got kind of picked up by these different outlets. And then yeah. after that, I was like, oh, I can just keep doing this. This was great. Yeah. It had so much work and so much sure. editing and oh, I was working yeah. full time. So in my mind, I was like, oh, I'll just do it again. I'll just do another pitch and this <laughs> will be easy. easy. Yeah. And then I remember her, like I pitched all these other things and she was like, I think I pitched something and she was like, okay, you can work on that. And yeah. I sent her a draft very quickly after yeah. that and she's like this is horrible yeah. and yeah. I just remember s- literally under the table like crying sure. oh, and yeah. heaving and being the like, worst I'm, moment sending yeah. a first draft and somebody being like yeah it ain't it yeah it's a shitty feeling and I Such honestly didn't feeling. write like at all yeah. after that yeah, for like yeah. a long time I just like yeah. started working on the podcast more and doing other things because yeah. it really like she was right and we sure. actually it was cool because she did the podcast and we talked about yeah, this yeah. experience cool. and and now I want to like, oh, I need a writing coach or I need to take yeah. classes or I need to go to grad yeah. school or I need to yeah. develop this craft just like any other craft. Mm-hmm. And it's very naive to just like think you're good at something because you've yeah. got something published once, totally. you know? And yeah. And just hearing how much work something takes. For sure. And it's a world of how like writing things is different, right? Like reporting is much different than mm-hmm. writing. It's a totally different world. Yeah. Um, different side of your brain. Totally. Yeah. So like just because I can write a personal essay about my feelings doesn't mean that I can write like about whatever else right you know right and that's a that's a hard thing to sit with because like when you get that good piece that gets picked up and does well you think you can write anything but that's not the case yeah Yeah. and it feels fleeting too because i'm (laughs) like sometimes i will write something and it just is great and then that's why writing's really hard you know it's like sometimes it's it's great sometimes it's not sometimes it's it is it's like a story problem it's like a puzzle to, to just yeah. go through and, and design I guess and I'm I don't dabble in that but it's kind yeah. of a similar thing it's like you got to just do it I would assume yeah I mean it's all sort of creative practices I think because I designed for so long I felt like I got jaded in a lot of ways but now sort of with time and perspective and space I mean I really find it to be just an, another way to tell stories and mm-hmm. um, like all stories like it basically has the root of things like you got to get to a beginning middle end yeah. but you know with writing you take somebody there with acting like maybe you don't take somebody there maybe you just bring somebody in yeah so yeah it's all storytelling at the root of it but within that there's all sort of different little buttons yeah um, but it all comes down to the fact that you just got to just literally get over the fear of being an idiot and do it or yeah. like looking like an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and vulnerability, yeah, you totally. know, it's vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. Which, which speaking of, I want to talk about your Instagram, yeah. which is so yeah. wonderful. Thank you. Everything you write and post is so specific, but somehow yeah. so relatable. And it's just, it's honestly been so cathartic and helpful yeah. for me That's in the great. past, like two months since I, or one month or whatever it's been yeah. since I met you. Sometimes I read them and I just I just cry. And I one that I reposted, as you know, but really made me feel so articulated was I'll I'll read it now. It it said, I've got this embarrassing heart that makes me feel so much. Yeah. Like just reading that makes me cry. Can you talk about that one? I know it's maybe in bad taste to ask someone to like talk about their art, but I've got this embarrassing heart that makes me feel so much. Yeah. I wrote that about a lot of different things. Basically, all these things that I've written on Instagram, they have, to me, very specific moments. But what I like about writing is um, getting other people into that little moment. Like, there's this idea of like, you know, if I wrote about the fact that I listened to an album and cried at night, right? If I just wrote the words like, I listened to this album and it made me cry. Like, what's the pullback of that? Like, I listened to a thing and it made me feel something. What's the pullback of that? I've got this embarrassing heart that makes me feel so much. 
Um, so that's kind of how I write. Like I take the moment and then I just peel back the layers a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So it's like layers of an onion of like. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was about you listening to an album and crying. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Basically all of those is there's, it's a specific scene in my head. Then I just kind of rewrite it and read it, right? And then I just sort of, and then you have like 10 words and you're like, oh, that kind of tells a story. And it tells yeah. a lot of different stories. Then here I, you wrote this about an album that you cried about. Yeah. And then here I am in Michigan, like a month later, yeah. feeling like, why am I the one crying so much and yeah. feeling so much and someone else isn't? And mm-hmm. I saw that and I was like, oh. I'm like Robin, or yeah. some of us yeah, are like yeah. this. Yeah. And it made me feel yeah. like I could identify with someone For and sure. it made me feel less alone. And yeah. it's just so cool how art can do that. That's the, it's the joys of writing. I mean, so the, like, pretty much all of them are about a specific scene. Yeah. Before I got sober, I had a very different internet presence. I sort of like talked my shit sometimes. I sort of like couldn't really figure out how to make anything on the internet that people really cared about. And then, so I deleted everything. Like I just deleted everything that I made. And I was just like, wow, I'm just going to be invisible for a while because I don't know what I'm doing. And I sort of, I feel like, I felt like there was a lot of, like my ego is saying this, but I felt like there was a lot of pressure of people wondering what I was going to do next. And basically my sponsor. How long did, sorry to interrupt because I just think yeah. it's fascinating. So you literally took everything off your Instagram? Yeah, every, all internet presence. I deleted it all. Were you scared about that where i mean i'm feeling the same way right now like i feel like i was telling you before we started recording yeah you were just because i kind of look at it as like it even though i cringe at it it's so who i was then so i like part of me it's like a scrapbook i don't i kind of want that archive there to show where i've come from but you didn't you didn't feel that way no i wanted it all gone i I wanted to um be a new person i wanted to sort of not be the person that I used to be in a lot of ways. And I didn't feel like the stuff that I'd written anymore, like the stuff that I'd posted. I just like, I just didn't feel like that person. How long did you go dark for? Not long. So I went dark for three days. Oh, wow. And on the third day, I texted my friend Tim and him and I talk about like internet presence a lot. But I texted Tim and I was just like, you know, when you delete your shit, you're just invisible. And then like, nobody misses you. You're just gone. And he was like, well, yeah. So then I was just kind of like, I sat on it for another day. And I had all these like resentment writings that I'd written because it was like what basically my sponsor told me to write. And because of that, I just sort of looked at them and I, I was mad. I was really mad when I posted the first 20. I just wanted to get it all out. I was mad and it just sort of was all on my chest. And I was like, well, let's just tell people these 20. And I posted like 20 in the first five minutes. And like on the fifth one, I think that I posted, like I started getting calls that are like, are you killing yourself? And I was like, no, that's not what I'm doing. I just like, there's just fucking work. Uh, I'm just writing some things and putting them on the internet. And they're all stuff that I'd written months ago. I was just finally putting them out. And the reaction was totally unexpected. I thought nobody would care about them. Um, and I was really afraid because Tim and Adam, like Tim Goodman and Adam Kurtz, like they do Sharpie writing. And I was like, ah, oh, I don't like, I don't want to be like them. I don't want them to think that I'm like creeping up on their space. So the only way that I could really get away with it was to have them look shitty. Mm. <laughs> so that's kind of why they look, because I just didn't want them to look like Tim's work. I just really didn't. Yeah. It's funny because Adam's done the podcast and I obviously sure. follow his yeah. his work, but I didn't even think that. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's, they're so specific and different to me. Yeah, yeah I was so But nervous. I guess it's like, oh, yeah. Because they're sharpies of paper. Like, right. I mean, like at the root of it. But the because I thought the content was different, first of all, and like just like mind is like so much more denser, um, right? Stuff, yeah, right. 
So, but yeah, I was really nervous for a second. I want to read one more. Yeah. This is a recent one, maybe today. I take what I said back. No good feeling ever lasts, mm -hmm. but I miss you bad. Mm. That one, like, ugh, just so many feelings, yeah. even just reading it back. What is missing someone even? And, and why does it hurt so much? I know that's like a very elusive question, yeah. but I'd love your thoughts. <laughs> There's one big secret about these whole things. They're not about people. It's not about a relationship. It's not about a person. Yeah, it's not. That's not what they're about. Um, they're about <sighs> concepts. They're about things. They're about um, experiences. That one specifically is about drugs. So when I say like, um, I take what I said back. No good feeling ever lasts, but I miss you bad. Like no good feeling ever lasts. I miss you. That's the that's the high. Wow. No good feeling. Like no high ever lasts, but I, I still miss you. Wow. So it's about drugs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this is bad. I mean, it is my like dream, and maybe we can do this yeah, like yeah. another time to yeah. go through each one and just like yeah. talk about. It sort of ruin, it. ruins the mystique because it does. Yeah. It does, and we won't. Because, but I just yeah. am loving this. <laughs> what I because what I want is for people to go inside them, like and make it what it means because it means yeah. something totally different to yeah, me. Yeah, and which I, is beautiful. Yeah, I want them all to be like that. You know, yeah. like my favorite songwriters never said what the, exactly. the songs were about. They just so. Uh, all of these are about what you want them to mm -hmm. be, but um, for me, I, I wrote that about drugs. And with a song, it's it's the same thing. I always am curious what sure. the artist was doing, yeah. but what it means to me is going to be different than what it means sure. to you. And that's, that's what's a good so song. beautiful about art. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's a good Instagram. Yeah, post. yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's something. When I said like, when I'm, for me, it's like when I say no good feeling ever lasts. Like that goes to a place in my mind. Like there's this there's this fluttering effect of being high that. It's just good. It just is. But it never lasts, you know. So for me, those those moments, there's this weird part about vulnerability where people can be like, oh, it's super vulnerable. But I'm like, you don't know what that's about. Like right. so it's right. not it's not that vulnerable. Like I'm just it just is this is just words. Like it's not even vulnerable right. anymore because you don't you don't know what's about. Yeah. Yeah. I think the more elusive things are, the more vulnerable they could for be. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And we get dopamine from all different things. You know, yeah. we get high from all different things, specifically success. So like, yeah. you know, having an article published sure. or like yeah. you were just on TV this week yeah. and, you know, the reaction to your Instagram. How do you handle as an addict, as a person, we're all addicts, I think. Yeah. How do you handle your relationship with social media and the dopamine you get from sharing work? I don't really get dopamine much from it anymore, to be honest, because I, I know that it's a fake high. There's this old Elliot Smith line that goes, everybody's dying just to get the disease. And he wrote it about fame. And I think on the internet, there's a lot to be said about it. Like everybody's dying to get the disease of fame. And I don't feel that really anymore. To me, what matters is the story. The stuff that I write, like I really dig the story. And like, that's just sort of it for me. It used to be that I got high from people liking my things or this specific famous person liking my thing or whatever. I don't really feel that anymore. For me, it's just like, I really like the story. Like I really, really, really like the story. I like telling stories. And um, the high I get is from the story, not from the, yeah, I'm, it's nice, but that's not what I do it. Mm. You know, I would do it without that high. Yeah. yeah. Do you have boundaries with your phone and social media, like on a practical level? 
not really. I don't feel bound by it necessarily. Like, I don't feel like for as many things, I know what it feels like to be addicted to something. And I, I feel like that's just sort of a thing. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't really have boundaries, but I don't think I overuse enough to have them. Yeah. How did you get to that place where you're not getting, I think that this kind of leads us into talking about sobriety maybe yeah. of not feeling, getting the dopamine from things outside of yeah. yourself. And maybe we can talk about your article on broadly about yeah. depression, sobriety, again, so yeah. relatable, so comforting to me. And yeah, maybe you can talk about, talk about that and, and your sobriety in general. Yeah. I mean, sobriety has changed everything in my life. But if I think about where I was on, I got sober on July 17th, 2018. And truly it's six and a half months. So it feel, I'm not like a golden god about this. But I've noticed my entire world has changed from sobriety. I know that I'm sort of less interested in being like a tragic figure than I, what I was like when I first started. I think as far as like a calming mechanism, many things have changed. Like sort of understanding what I resent, what I fear and knowing that it's going to happen. Like I knew for a fact, if I meet somebody, I'm like, oh, I kind of resent that they're doing well. Like I'm kind of resentful that you have like a nice apartment, right? And then I, my fear becomes because I, I fear that I might lose mine. And I'm like, well, where am I going to live, right? And a year ago, I'd be like, well, I can't like you because I'm resentful of you. And now I'm just sort of like, that's actually stupid. Like you're just tricking your mind into not having a friend. And I never was like that before. I would just sort of resent you. <laughs> and now I sort of understand the root of that resentment more, which lets me be a person, like truly. And then the calmness comes from, I mean, if you're not sober and you're listening to this, you're probably like, what the fuck is this person talking about? I guarantee you, I felt that same way when I listened to sober people talk about before I got sober. But um, serenity prayer, it means a lot for different people. Like, the first word always freaks people out because it has the word God in it. To me, like a higher power is like whatever that is, but God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, there's a lot of power in that. So much. Yeah. yeah. I think about that all the time. When I, like, when I got to the rooms, nobody like, you don't read a script over the serenity prayers. You just do it every meeting and then eventually you learn. What, step yeah, rooms. yeah, yeah. It was like maybe like the 10th meeting that I went to that I really sat with the serenity prayer. And I'm like, what is that saying? Like, why do we say that? And then I just realized, I was just like, okay, like control what you can control. And what you can't, that's how, like, I cannot control if so-and-so hates me. I can only control how I feel about how they hate me. So that's, I mean, sobriety has changed my entire perception of how I live on the internet. I can't control whether I post something and, like, it does well. Mm -hmm. Just can control the fact that I'm probably going to make another, another one because I do it without the dopamine hit. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because... Like everything in life is surrender. Like mm -hmm. I I think I talked about this in my episode with Marley, but like every religion exists, every spiritual thing, every yeah. holistic healing thing exists because we and drugs and, yeah. and yeah. eating disorders and you know, work addiction, yeah. love, like all they're all distractions from the reality that we as humans can't control anything. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we yeah, yeah. desperately want to. Totally. And for some of us, I think some of us have different thresholds for uncertainty, yeah. for feelings, for change. And we're just trying to deal with that the best we can. And sometimes it's turning to for drugs sure. and alcohol or yeah. work or yeah. control or, 
I wrote down this line. Everyone should read the article in its entirety and I'll link to it. But this line in particular struck me and I wrote it down like for myself. And then I wrote it down to talk about here. You say, I'm tethered to my emotions and sobriety now all the time. All the bad parts of me are crystal clear and the shame makes me grimace and frustration. But I know I owe it to myself to move forward. I loved that so much because yeah. I feel like it just talks to me about our yeah. shadow and yeah, like yeah. we can, sobriety was really just a way for you to like, you, you in the article you talk about like you were depressed essentially yeah. and yeah. you had like gone through, you were going through it and yeah. you were stuffing it down yeah, yeah. through your means, which for was sure. alcohol. Yeah. And then with becoming sober, you have to let it out essentially. Yeah. And yeah. so it makes sense that it changed your whole life. Can you talk about that from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, I had it all, you know, like I had the, I had the, I mean, I made like, had the job, like a six figure job, right? I had the apartment to myself. I had vacation time. I had a girlfriend. I had like a bike to work. I had it all and I was fucking miserable. And that's a particular feeling that Dax Shepard. Yes. Yeah, I was he just talked about this say, a lot. And because I just listened in that on camera fucking interview. hit me so hard. Same. Cause it, cause it, it had the same thing. Yep. He's like, I had a million dollars. And I'm like, dude, yeah, yep. I had the full-time job. I had the girlfriend. I had the, and I was fucking miserable. And he talks about how so many people yeah. don't get the luxury of getting everything yeah. they think they wanted. He, just had, he fucking nailed it in there. Yeah. He just fucking nailed it. And I felt that same thing. Cause I literally like when I was listening to that thing, I was like, cool. Well, yeah, had the money, had the job, had the girlfriend. Yeah, because we think when I have, then right. I'll be okay. Yeah, and then you guys had. Then I had it. Mm, fucking miserable, and yeah, that's a specific feeling. And I think a lot, you know, not a lot of people, but I think some people have that moment where they're just like, "Cool, I have everything that I wanted to work for. I have a really nice guitar at home. Great. Yeah. Fuck, I can't reply to a fucking email." It was, it was a very particular feeling and the shame that I had was nuance. I mean, I, I was so afraid people hated me. Like, so afraid. Like, it just, like, was petrified that people hated me and petrified that people were wondering what I was doing. And me knowing the answer, which was I was in fucking rehab, doing nothing, but talking about my feelings and being in AA meetings and fucking talking to a sponsor every fucking day of my life, which seemed like to me, like I wrote about this, but it seemed fucking stupid. Like I was like, I was getting recruited to join the white house. How could I be in this position? Like, how could like somebody's literally talking to me about like, did you do drugs? Today? And I'm like, fuck, I had it all. So, I mean, that's a specific feeling of just like letting yourself down hard and then being too embarrassed about it to fucking do anything about it. But it's really brave because you did. And yeah. now you, and Dax talked about this too. Like it, sometimes it takes a long time to actually do it. Yeah. Like, and I, I experienced this like with my own addiction of like being okay and being, you know, healed, I guess. Yeah. And then like falling back into it, yeah. going up yeah. and down. And the line that I wrote about, which is how, when you take away alcohol, yeah. you're left with yourself. Yeah. You're left with yeah. your feelings. Yeah. How do you feel? Like, how do you make sure I've been thinking about this a lot? Like, what is your practice for feeling feelings? Obviously, yeah. you write, you talk to friends. What else? And how do you, I mean, you can answer that first, but something I've been contemplating and thinking about a lot, and I'm reading this book that I'll tell you about. It's called Letting Go. Have you read that book? No. Dr. David Hawkins. Yeah. He talks about like 
feeling feelings versus repressing feelings mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. suppressing feelings. Yeah. And I've become obsessed with, and I know you're in therapy too, and you've had a lot of experience in therapy. I've become obsessed with like, how do I know if I'm getting it all? Like when you, when you have to blow your nose, right? There's yeah. like a certain amount sure. of snot yeah, yeah. and you like, can, yeah. you let it out yeah, and then yeah. you're like, I don't have any, you know, you'll get sure. a stuffy nose again, but yeah, like yeah. you get all of it out or when sure. you're pooping, you're yeah, like, yeah. I, you know, you're done. Right. But with feeling it's like, yeah. I could cry more, but also sometimes I'm just like, I just stop. Ha- it's like I, I was stopping halfway through a poop or something. Sure. You know, the, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm on, the only reason I'm stopping is because I have to go to work or yeah, because yeah. I have to do this podcast sure. or because I'm, you know, yeah. I, I distract yeah, yeah. myself. So I yeah. feel like I'm like stuffing it down again. Sure. So how do you like allow yourself? What is your feeling practice, I guess? Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily have to get it all out. I mean... The other night, it was like midnight and I was just in my bathroom just staring at myself in the mirror. Like there's a difference between like looking at your outfit and like really staring at your face in the mirror. And I was just doing that thing where I just looked at my face and I looked at like the details of the follicles of my hair and like my eyeballs and my teeth and just sort of really getting into it. And that, I mean, that was an emotional moment because I never do that. Like who's there? Like... But what what I felt in that moment was my childhood. Like I remember in my my bathroom, my childhood. I had this. Um, my mirror had three sort of sides, so you, like yeah. the middle part and the exactly left and the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I used to just put my face in the like I used to put the left and the right when like, like sort of inward. They put my face in the middle, so it'd be like a kaleidoscope of my, my mom face. Said that too. Yeah, I used to do that all the time, and that was like a product of like being a child and like having nothing to do and just sort of like being fascinated with yourself. And I, I, in sobriety, I feel like a fucking child again. Cause truly I started like doing things to my body, like mind altering substances when I was 15. And a thing that a person told me, like when I was sort of annoyed in the first stage of sobriety, which is like, like, even though you did a bunch of cool shit, like your brain's basically 16 again, like wherever you started, <laughs> you're back there. Wow. So it kind of has like, in my mind, I'm like, when it comes to certain things, I approach it like a fucking 16 year old right now, because that's when I started. And the way that I get it out is I, I write, I run, running is huge for me, doing yoga, meditating, talking to people. I love video games to calm me down. I play a lot of guitar can't do anything when you're playing guitar but play guitar i just sort of get comfortable with the fact that i do it again tomorrow yeah so i don't know i don't really have a goal to i don't really have a goal to get it all out i think i'm overthinking it yeah i think i'm overthinking feeling yeah i think well it's sort of a hit topic in the world right like people are into it so people are analyzing their feelings and diving it through but you think so yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I grew up in Maine. Nobody had feelings, That's but everyone true. fucking made rent and like had a right, family. Right, right. Like, Same. Yeah. I mean, my mom and dad never Same. had a therapist. Like I never like, talked to, about feelings. Yeah. So I'm wondering, but you think it's having a moment right now? Like, yeah, oh, for of- sure. Yeah. I think every, I think every PC thing is having a moment for the for its time. Yeah. And when I get caught in the cycle of like, oh, what are my real feelings? I'm like, I grew up in Maine. Like, so it feels very indulgent to me. Yeah, it like, feels, I'm it's like, like it's sweet chocolate yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've yeah. been going through something that's caused me to feel and cry yeah, a lot. Yeah. And I also am a freelancer now, which is yeah. very new for me. For sure. It's a lonely feeling. Yeah, and I'll have yeah. days where it's like, I'm so privileged and yeah. grateful that I can yeah. not work right yeah. now yeah. and yeah. feel this. Sure. But also feeling like, 
I should be and could be doing so much more. For so sure. then that makes me feel worse. And yeah. then it's just kind of this, yeah, yeah. this spiral of yeah. terribleness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's basically the jam for it. And, um, for me, at least, simplifying the problem, understanding what I control and what I can't control, and just sort of realizing that in order for me to do anything in um, a 12-step program, like to be service of people, yeah. I could let it go. Like, I loved how Dak spoke about that in that yeah. interview. One of my favorite moments in sobriety, I was coming in at this meeting, I mean, it might have been like three weeks sober or something like that, and I was like, mad like my first my first month of sobriety i was just angry because i felt like i felt like a i'd let a lot of people down and i felt b like i could be doing something better with my time like i i could have made something cool and in my mind at the time i was thinking about friends with secrets a lot and i was like well it could be better could have done this differently or could we could like i was just mad about it a lot and there's this guy in my meeting who we were talking beforehand and we were really joking about like something stupid and i started mentioning how i was sort of mad about this thing and he was just very passively like well you know you know if life was really fair then you'd already be dead <laughs> just kind of walked away this guy who had 31 years of sobriety and i was just like damn dude i guess you're right like if life was really fair like if this life was truly fair and like this world of feelings and blah 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 like i'd be dead mm-hmm. just like putting like i the amount of shit that i did to my body and how like i would be dead if this was all fair and that thought process flipped it from like i'm owed this feeling i should be deserved this time i should have this indulgence i should have that really good job i should have been ha- you know all that went away mm. and it just sort of was like right now i got this second that's basically I have I have this one moment in time, and then hopefully the next. But what I'm thinking, I'm not I'm not doing the ten year plan anymore. I'm not doing the five year plan. I'm not doing the you know I want to be on this stage with this actor, or I want to get this job in design, or I want to get that byline in writing. Just sort of telling the stories that I think are really good, and hopefully other people will like it. And that simplicity is keeps me basically able to do it again yeah sounds like you're good at being present now now yeah yeah before i would fuck you blah blah blah. yeah yeah that's really inspiring what about friends with secrets you mentioned it yeah tell us about that project and how it came to be what it is yeah friends with secrets um myself timothy goodman and akila hughes we all saw online therapists for four months and then we released the sessions for people to read over the course of five days so it reads kind of like episodes for the most part. It was awesome. I knew going in, I wanted to tell the story um, in the first session that I talk about, which is the session between Laura and I. And I'm going to talk about it as if you've already read it. So if you haven't read it, go read it. Super sorry. <laughs> but the first first session, I basically talk about sexual assault and I'm trans and with a trans woman. So like sexual assault within the trans community and how this woman sexually assaulted me because I looked like her dead ex-girlfriend for the most part. And I needed that out of me. Like I, I held that in from like 2015 and I, it had to go. Like it was just time and it had to go. And that's sort of the cornerstone of me wanting to do it. I think Tim and Akilah had their own reasons for wanting to do it. But for me, it was like, I need to get that out. And this seems like the, the way to do it. The actual concept of her came out of like a, Google Hangout, where we were all on. Tim and I had got dinner one night and we sort of 
use an album metaphor to talk about making work. And uh, I was like, I haven't made an album in a really long time. And he was like, me either. I was like, well, maybe we'll make a mixtape. Like, Friends of Secrets could be like a mixtape. So he wrote on this like napkin uh, core idea of what it could be. And then I think later that night, I went over to Akilah's house and got like super high. It was like, we could do this. <laughs> and uh, she was like, yeah, I'm in. And that's basically sort of how it came about. We set it up. So January 1st, we were all together in, the, in this party and we launched the sessions at that point and then we recorded them up until April. So all the sessions that I did, I was wasted at some point in them. And uh, I got sober in July. And then in October, I started to edit them and refine them. And it's a particular feeling to edit and refine something that you wrote drunk. Wow. <laughs> knowing yeah. that you're sober now. Yeah. And like three months into it at that point. Like that's a fucking particular feeling. So where is the project now in the sense of are will you guys share more? Will you what we wrote is shared. Yeah. But will you have other will you continue it? Will you share more sessions, do you think? Do you think it'll continue again? Yeah, I think that the the story is the story. Like Every conversation that we had with our therapist is out right now. Mm-hmm. So there's not a moment that isn't there. Um, it very much has like a beginning, middle, and end. Will us three make something together? Maybe. Like an, I'm meaning like another year. Like a th- yeah, it would be two. tight. Yeah, we've, we've talked about a different setup. Um, we've talked about bringing it to the stage. We've talked about what would it look like in a book form. Honestly, we sent it to a couple of book agents and they just were like, cool digital project. So we might not be able to get it into a book format, but... The other, the other flip of the coin is like we got some really great write-ups in like Fast Company and yeah. did like a news press and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, it's so wonderful. Yeah. It tells a very hard story for me. Like it breaks yeah. down like all of my addiction. It breaks down like sexual assault. It breaks down my like a person that I really loved. <laughs> um, so sort of it's a deep, the deep nugget. Yeah. 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 Speaking of therapy, how does therapy help you and how do you get the most out of therapy or out of a session? Like, I'm so curious about that yeah. as someone in therapy who it, it works for and has, has sometimes when it works better than others, like, do yeah. you prepare for a session with something that you want to process? Do you yeah. do something after to make sure you integrate it? I would love to know your process. Well, I'm not, so I'm not in therapy right now. Mm-hmm. When friends with secrets ended in April, that was the last time I saw a therapist prior to that. No, I didn't. I just sort of like went in and talked about whatever was on my mind. I think that if I were to go back into it, and I, you know, I eventually will, I'm very careful of who I let massage my mind. In sobriety, especially like talking with specific sober people, it's like, do I want you to sort of massage the way I think about the world? And if that answer is yes, then we're in and I'll listen. I'm, I'm game. Um, it's just no that I probably won't like that. It's like a, it's a bad setup for me. And talking with my sponsor, like, yeah, I for sure plan those conversations because I've written the stuff that I want to talk about, like all my fears and resentments. Like, so your morning pages really kind of yeah. dictates where you're going to go with that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, when I talk to her, I pretty much know what I need to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's rare that I talk to her and I don't know what's bothering me. What about after that conversation, like integration? Do you journal after that? Do you... Usually I'm free. You just get yeah. what you needed. Yeah. After that conversation, usually when I talk to her, I'm, I'm free. When I say free, I mean like my mind is clear. Like yeah. The thing that held me back from doing anything else has left. Um, there was one 
bad. There's like there's an infamous bad conversation with my sponsor and I. Uh, maybe three weeks before Friends of Secrets came out, where I was furious about that project. I was like, it's not good enough. It's just bad. We sort of fucked this up. Like I was like in a mess. I was like, we need to do patterns on the background, all these things. And Tim was like, what are you doing? It's fine. And I called my sponsor and that particular night I was just furious and um, cause I just thought it could have been better. And in my mind, I thought that if I got drunk, I could come up with a really good idea. Mm. So I was like convincing my sponsor to be like, you know, if I could just have one drink then I could really come up with like this. Like she'd just be like, Okay. Yeah. Like, like, I, okay. Yeah. I was like, I had a lot of those. Like, if I could just have one drink that I could come up with this, and it would be fine. Like, like all these problems can be solved. And she sort of yelled at me, and she was like, "Look, if you have to fucking drink, go for it. Like, if you think like her big thing is like, if you think you have one drink left in you, you better drink that drink because the longer you go in sobriety without that drink, the more guilt and shame you're gonna feel. So like, if you need to fuck it up at three months, fuck it up because it's gonna hurt more when you fuck it up at four years. Mm. So. I had like I had this real moment with her and she's like, Do you think you need to do that or is there another way to do it? And I sort of stepped on me and was like, Oh, I guess there's another way to do it. And because she was kind of saying, Great, just do it. You just are gonna get another bottom and you'll right. have to start over. Yeah, and maybe that's yeah. the only way you can yeah. do this. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. So that was it was a ballsy move on her choice. But she yeah. told me that she like she had a situation with people like that with her. And I really sat there that night and debated. And I was like, well. I could just drink and think. She like gave you permission. Yeah, she totally. She was like, this is your fucking call. And I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I just like, I just, I went, I went back to my apartment. I sort of paced around my apartment. Um, I watched a movie. I wrote a little bit. And then I woke up and I was like, oh, I bet you a gradient would be really nice. (laughs) And that was it. That's a gradient on the site. That's fucking it. Like that was the whole, whole, like the whole site has a really nice, like deep blue gradient. Beautiful. Yeah. That was that whole night. It was like this was stupid things like that. Yeah, um, and I had to, I had Tim like mock up like we could do like this pattern background. We could and like it's just like no, I just needed like a little gradient. Um, yeah, unreal. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about your beautiful and heartbreaking piece for the Atlantic that we mentioned a little bit. Your yeah. writing process, but came out last year about navigating your gender identity alone when you were young and how it caused you to detransition and how, because cisgender people physically and mentally beat you down. Yeah. And I'd love if you could talk about it a little bit, but this is the line that really stuck with me. You said my anxieties could have been alleviated if adults had simply listened, paid attention and trusted me. It shouldn't be that difficult for the generations to come. Can you talk about that? And then also your project, My Trans Health, and what parents and cisgender people can do to support trans people and especially young people? Ooh, wow, that's a deep question. It's a lot in one, I know. That's a deep question. Okay, let's start with the article. Okay. Jesse Singel sucks. Like the dude who I like, sort of wrote the review. Yeah, like, I, I went in just sucks. on I went yeah. on a deep dive on him after I read that. Yeah, he's just sort of like this bro who thinks he knows shit. Um, yeah. Without really knowing shit. He's he's a boy. <laughs> so I wrote that out of frustration of Jesse and knowing my experience and knowing that he, he was wrong. But you did that in such a, everyone should read the article in such a smart, articulate way, which got yeah. your point across so much better than, you know, if you had just said, which is true, what you yeah. just said to me now. Yeah, you yeah. Know, you no, I wrote like a very a, articulate moment. Yeah. And it, it, the piece specifically for me, like, 
detransition culture is very strange because most people who detransition don't transition again. Like I transitioned again and I'm very happy and blah, blah, blah. But at that time, I was really mad and just sort of like it was the, the perfect story to tell. The way that I initially wrote that piece, I, I just cut up Jesse's words like over and over and over again. The editor, who was just incredible, I had the best editor on that piece. And she was just like, yeah, but what about you? Yeah, but what about you? So I was like, okay, so I wrote this very small segment in the beginning about me, then sort of sandwiched it into this like whole conversation about gender and sort of finished off with this moment. And she just kept pushing me like harder, like, what about you? What about you? What about you? And it got to that place where I was able to write the piece where it is, where it's sort of like half me and then half like deconstructing yeah. his piece. And I think it was really important at the time in that week because it was such a bad piece and the backlash on the internet was so hard. Jesse's piece. Yeah. Yeah. And it deservedly so. But a lot of people were just sort of being like the clap back of like, Jesse's an idiot. Like basically what I said two minutes ago. Right. And I sort of took it out like an intellectual way. I'm like, yeah. here's how I can break this down. And I like that I do that because it, it was very true to my experience and also sort of let go these moments that I had. And that felt really pure to me to be able to do that. Going deeper into the question, which is sort of it's sort of how people are talking about gender now, which is actually kind of bothers me, which is like this trans v cis world. And for years, I was a part of that culture and a part of like the cis people need to do this to show up. Different. And I don't know if I really believe that anymore. And I think that the thing that caught me off guard and the thing that sort of pushed me away from that is just sort of the idea of like, what if it was just like, what if we killed the idea of marginalization just for the sake of the conversation? Like, what if, what if we just like crush that idea and everyone's back down to a base level of like, you're a person, you're a person. Okay. How would I feel about everything that's going on with culture? My day is mostly fine. Maybe I'm privileged because I live in Brooklyn and blah, blah, blah. But like, I'm, I'm generally speaking, never thinking about gender, never having conversations with myself about gender. I'm just, I just sort of don't care about it. I also transitioned a decade ago. So maybe that has something to do with it. But I personally have had a lot of moments where in the last couple of years where I've just sort of been like, what if there wasn't a divide? <laughs> like, what if, like, what if you and me were just both human beings? Yeah. And me and like whoever at the bodega was a human As we being. Are. Yeah. And then when it comes out, like, what would it look like to show up for them? Right? Like you would for any other person. Probably just like buy them a cup of coffee if they looked like they needed a cup of coffee. Got them a cup of tea if their voice was bad. I probably wouldn't really do anything special for them other than just be a decent human being. And that's sort of how I feel about the whole thing. I think that a lot of internet culture, especially around trans people, has gotten to this place where it's like, just so fucking specific of like this pronoun. this And like, I get it. It's important. It truly is. But there's this other bit of me just like, what if you just stripped the idea of marginalization out? Everybody was not marginalized. They're just fucking people. How would you treat that person? Cool. Golden rule. Can we do that with other people? Okay. I really like that. For years, I, I sort of pushed back on that, but that's just what it is. Maybe it's sobriety that got me there. Maybe it's something else, but I personally just don't feel special anymore. <laughs> just kind of feel like a person and a person who can make fucking mistakes. In terms of resources though, and for parents, you made this great resource, My Trans yeah. Health. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah. In 2013, when nobody knew how to talk about gender and everybody sort of was weird about it, we made this like My Trans Health and it was designed to help trans people get access to culturally competent healthcare. Basically, we made a Kickstarter. We launched the week that Caitlyn Jenner came out. It raised like 35 grand or something like that. Like did pretty well on the internet. 
In turn, we delivered the site where we called practitioners and doctors around the country about how they talk to trans people. And then we basically aggregated them, put them into a site. And that exists live right now. I think it's a really good thing for 2013. And I sincerely look at it in 2019 and wonder if it's what the necessary ratio of, like, I think the research would look very different now than it did. Because I think everyone pretty much knows what a trans person is at this point. And unless you're actively trying to be a dick, it's probably less weird. Right. Like it was a little bit weirder six years ago than it is right now. We redesigned it and made it like suave like a couple years ago. It just didn't have the heart to put it out. (laughs) Cause it just sort of like, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be a trans person anymore. I didn't want to have to, I didn't want people to hire me for being trans anymore. I didn't want people to talk to me about being trans. I was just sort of over it because it just sort of, it became a competition of othering that I just lost interest in. And what I really got interested in is pop songs. I got interested in A Star is Born. I got interested in the idea of telling stories for the sake of stories. I got interested in Moonlight. I got interested in what it meant to fucking feel a moment stripped of anything that is designed to make you maybe feel sad about yourself. I just lost it. You just wanted to be a person. Just really wanted to be a person. And not talk about this thing that... And I wanted the story to say it on its own. Yeah. Like, I mean, for like we were talking about this idea of like what you could write. And like, yeah, I could write about being trans for the rest of my life. Probably get a decent audience. Probably can make money. Probably could like make a bunch of funny Twitter memes. And I'd be fucking miserable. Uh, because I really wouldn't be doing anything. Yeah. Like, I really wouldn't be saying anything. Yeah. And that kills me. It would feel like you're just going in a circle. It would just, it would, it'd just be the end of me. Because I wouldn't say anything the whole time. Like I, I, none of friends with secrets, which is so nuanced and so deep and so much more than just anything. None of that comes out. If you're still stuck in the loop of like, well, I'm trans and trans. Like you're just fucking, you're out of the totally. loop. I kind of hate that I asked about it. Yeah. Well, I think everybody does now. And I think for the most part, people are get really confused when I say like, I don't really want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. And the, the thing is, because I think I have a bad answer for people. Because my, my answer is, I don't think I'm special. And I think it's weird that we need to talk about me being special. Anyways, can we talk about A Star is Born? Because totally. Bradley Cooper wrote a really fucking great script. Yeah. Like, that's kind of how I feel about it yeah. for the most part. And especially in acting, where I'm taking on the stories of other people and like really getting inside of a character, right? Like, you, know, you get a script and like, I'm reading this part, this woman, Mary, right now. I'm learning about Mary, right? I'm really diving into her life. I'm seeing what she says. I'm seeing why she says I'm getting the what. I'm learning all the pieces of Mary. And it's just so awesome. And it's so stripped of anything about me. It's just the it's just somebody else. And I that's so nice. I that's really beautiful. So I want I want all of that. I think I think the 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 way that we're talking about diversity and inclusion, blah blah blah, it's all super important. And I love that people are going to have that conversation. I'm really interested in writing a Star Is Born. Yeah, that's just where my head's at. That makes so much sense. What drew you to acting? It was just a different kind of story. Uh, I pretty much know how to tell a story through design. I got that down. I'm not a perfect writer. I'm an okay writer. I'm kind of a slow writer, but for the most part, I understand how to write a story. I did not know what a grokable action was, right? I did not know what it meant to show people that you were happy, right? How do you show people you're happy? What's the facial expression, right? You open your eyes a little bit wider, right? You kind of like let a little smile in. You bring your cheeks up. Like, what does that look like? You maybe have better posture, right? There's all these things about actions of movement that I just wasn't paying attention to. Then I walked into an acting class and I was like, 
you know, what would it be like? Like, how would you act if you just drink a cup of coffee? You know, and maybe 10 cups of coffee, right? What would that look like? And somebody says like, well, well, you know, you'd be anxious. Like, what does that look like? You'd be jittery. Okay, that's something else. Like, you learn all different types of storytelling through that. And I just fucking... I love it. I'm I'm drunk with it. Like that's how I feel. Like I'm totally intoxicated with all that kind of stuff. And to just rob myself of that knowledge just seems so annoying. So like it's not that I'm shutting out design out of my life. It's not that I'm doing less writing. It's not that I'm doing more of this. It's just that it's new. It's shiny. It's a different way to look at the world and exist in the world. And it's so beautiful to just open yourself up to like a different part of life. It hits a different note creatively yeah. for you. I'm not trying to be like, I'm not trying to be Bradley Cooper. I just think it's really beautiful what he wrote. And if I look at Friends with Secrets, I'm like, I think I tapped into something that was kind of interested in that. And like, what what's the next thing look like? What's look, like, what would the, what would that look like? And how can I make that? And just being intoxicated with story. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about A Star is Born. Oh, it's so good. It's what, so good. What made you love it so much? Have you seen the other versions? Uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen all of them. Oh, what made me love it? Many things. I loved it too, by yeah, the way. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. Not, I was yeah, very yeah. like Terry Gross stoic, sure. but I yeah, yeah. weeped and loved it. Oh, I just thought it was so good. I thought it was so good. And I've loved every interview Bradley's given about talking about it. I liked his obsessiveness a lot sort of interviews I'm listening to him talk about like what it's like to sort of understand that loss of hearing and him sort of going into the detail of that essence I think it's really interesting the details Bradley got the fucking details right he got the team right he knew what the team needed to look like to get the thing done he knew that the team had to feel a certain way about the story to get it done um the, the just the background elements of like knowing that not a thing went out without his eye like confirming like that's the that's the detail that we need to do it what i like about it is that first scene how it's like stage 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 he's a crazy back turn right and he talks about this interview he gives this interview where he's like somebody's like well how do you want that first scene to feel and he basically said i wanted to feel like this Shh. that's what he wanted the whole scene to sound like and I heard that and I was like, that's what you did. Yeah. Like at the root of what you did, you did shh. Exactly. That's all you did. And that's that idea of story that gets pulled backward and backward and backward until you have nothing but sound. And just that element of how he was able to peel back certain layers, certain layers, certain layers to get you to, to where you needed to be. I just loved it. I'm just intoxicated with the storytelling. The fact that like everybody is never in this... Bradley and Lady Gaga, they're always in the center of the stage. Like he talks about this. Like even in the first scene where like she's screaming in the bathroom, she's center of stage when she does that. She's always on the stage, right? He's totally aware of what it means. Like even like on a deep sociological level, like Irving Goffman of like what a stage is. Like he just gets it. And to see it all come together, I just think it's it's just so brilliant how he let moments develop. How the narrative of the story, how he let people be themselves and also created vast direction. Like he got David Chabelle to act sad and like, kind of like your, your brother, right? Like you're the your guy that you take to Thanksgiving and like I mean, the warm guy that you're like, yeah, you're different. Like, should I, like he was a family member, right? Like David Chappelle, like giving comedy, he got that. Like, yeah. so, so much of that was directing the person, also letting them be who they are. The actual story itself. I just, I love I love how they use SNL. I love how everything is real. I love how all of Lady Gaga stuff is just 
fucking perfect. I love how she took on a different personality in her own world. Um, I love the steak scene. The, when he gives his dog the steak, that's like, because you just know it. Like, I remember like, I remember sitting in the theater at that moment. Like You see him in the house, and in my head I'm thinking, spoilers, but I'm like, he's going to kill himself Like when he's in the house, right? Then when he makes the steak, I'm like, that's the moment. That's when I knew, right? And it's when Very I slowly got yeah. to feel Crescendo. the audience. Yeah. yeah. I got to feel the room get to that point where they're like, because there's, there's this huge, like, will he, won't he throughout the whole thing. And I saw that steak scene, and I'm like, I know that moment. Like, that's, that's a specific moment. I, I get the, I get his metaphor. I get all this kind of stuff. And just being in a, 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 a seat and, and um, feeling everybody come to the realization that this man's going to kill himself. Just like, it was so beautiful. You were just in the moment. You were in the story. I was intoxicated with the story. I just thought it was so fucking beautiful. I felt that way about the, and I think more people have talked about this yeah. scene, but the Grammys, mm. just how mm-hmm. uncomfortable yeah. that was, yeah. that yeah. entire, yeah. totally for so many different reasons. For sure, yeah. Yeah. He fucks everything up. Yeah. But he, also you have empathy for him. So much empathy. Yeah. It's oh, really yeah. complicated because you're yeah. he gets the audience to feel two things at the same time. Feel bad for an alcoholic, right? Yeah. Who feels like nobody feels bad for alcoholics? Like nobody does. Like I'm going to meetings every day and people talk about like it's like nobody feels bad for right. alcoholic. Like he created empathy in that moment. Yeah. Even down to him being a dick and peeing, like on that stage, he just created you just got the person. You got the person, and then the way that he juxtaposed the headlines of like, like how, like in those, like, uh, did you see the article? Um, somebody, I think it was Buskey or something, like posted like, what would happen if Jackson Maine was real? And somebody wrote mm. like, you know, Jackson Maine, blah, blah, blah. Like, it just sort of really culturally, everybody got it. I just yeah. fucking loved it. It was so, it was so perfect because, you know, he took her moment. Yeah. But you also understood how. She what? loved him yeah. so deeply. Yeah. And then also that other moment of when he puts the cake on her face. Oh, for sure. Like, that is abuse. Yeah. Like that is like, yeah. a, it's yeah. like a form of abuse. Yeah, it's yeah. not physical abuse. Like you could totally. traditionally see yeah, your yeah. husband in some other yeah. versions, but it's like really hurtful yeah. abuse. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was really poignant. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well. The moment where he's like a dick in the bathtub and he's yeah. like sort of like telling her to fuck. Like there's, he's a, He's oh, not a good God, person. I forgot about that scene. He's like, the idea that he's like, but here's the thing though. This is what makes it good. The the point, when I say that Bradley Cooper and his character, character Jack Smith is perfect, I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm saying he wrote a complex nuanced yes, person and exactly. he let them be that person. Yeah. Right? He let the audience hate him for a second. Can you imagine spending four years of your life on one project knowing someone's going to walk away kind of hating you yeah. and feeling like you did your job because of that? That's incredible. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's real. That's, that's the idea of story. He shows the messiness and the nonlinear yeah. nature of growth yeah. and growth, not working sometimes. Yeah. It's just, it's really beautiful. at growing yeah. to the really point beautiful. of, yeah, yeah it really a, is. It's a really beautiful story. And it's just, it's just the story. There's and it no. reminds you of in life, like sometimes things can, you can grow and yeah. things can change yeah. and like that ending could have been different. Totally, maybe. totally. But oh, yeah. in life, a lot of times it doesn't. Yeah. People yeah. die with stories in them totally. still yeah. and stuff yeah. they need to let out, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that sucks. And yeah. it reminds me, I, I wrote this down to talk about of, you know, the messiness and the nonlinear nature of growth. And yeah. you rewrote this line at the end of your Atlantic piece that I also wrote down where you say, 
no one can ever know which direction is best. That's part of living. Yeah. And I think that really speaks to what we've kind of been talking about as a through line throughout sure. this of, of being present yeah, yeah. and decision-making and just sure. not knowing yeah. how to be a person and knowing that you can only do what you can do today. Yeah. And nobody's ever going to know what the best thing sure. was or yeah, how yeah. to say the thing. But, you know, I'm constantly, we, we were talking about, we right. feel so many feelings. We're in our heads. We're totally. questioning. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we're just doing our best trying yeah. to be people and have empathy for other people. Such a beautiful line. There's a lot of moments in sobriety, especially like the the few amends that I've made with people. Like you can agonize over that, what it feels like to make amends to people, right? And I have, like I, I've written a few, like I've probably written way more amends than I've actually sent, but you can write the most perfect amends ever. Like you can really write the fuck out of one, right? And it could get deleted in two seconds or it could get read and thought about for a week. Right. And either is fine for me. Like you're saying you can't control the person. can't control it. Right. But what I'm doing is I'm cleaning my side of the street. Right. And that's all I, you can control. Literally. Like I'm, I can give you my heart, put it on the table and say, I'm sorry. I was a dick. Feel free to slice this open with the blade or move on with your life. Whatever you do, I'm fine. But that moment of like, I can't control the direction of how that rolls. I just fucking can't. Like, I just know the moment happened. And I know I wish the moment didn't happen. And then I just want to move on with my fucking life because what am I supposed to do? Die that's, over it? That's so hard for me. Yeah, like, it's impossible. I, I have so much trouble replaying ways I could have been better yeah. and things I could have said better and sure. things I wish I hadn't said. Yeah. And then I start thinking about, I don't want this to be the way a person remembers me or I don't Mm -hmm. want, and I can try to forgive myself and I can go to therapy and I can try to not do that again. What's so painful is doing it again. Sure. Yeah. But then what's also so painful is I can't control whether someone forgives me for that or if someone remembers me for that or if someone lets that go. And also, I just don't even know. Yeah, I don't know. I might be thinking about it still and they completely didn't even- go a year ago. Didn't even even track with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the the work. And for me specifically, I know that I do it because it's time. Like, it's just time. Like, let bad moments dissolve and just sort of- get that people were going through a different thing at a different time and could to handle it better or good not, but whatever. How far do you want to take it? Do you want to kill that person or you just want to let them be a person again? And I think... Or yourself or something. Yeah, letting myself be a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me specifically, I've decided that I'm going to, when the moment is right, um, be like, man, I really wish I would have handled that differently. I hope you're well now and I mean that. I let go of that fucking ghost in my heart and it's gone it's our shadow right like i think i've been thinking a lot about shadow work and how as people we it it creates a lot more empathy thinking that we have dak shepherd kind of talks about this we have so good come on dak so good how is he he's He's so so good good. so good it's like it's crazy yeah i know that interview that interview i think we both just listened Ah, to so good particularly good yeah i'll link to that like you should Probably stop listening to this one. Just Although Robin incredible. is great too. Yeah, yeah. You're no, just as good No, he's that. great. He's great. We have a full spectrum of yeah. good and bad within all of us. Like yeah, yeah. we have like Donald Trump and the Dalai Lama. Sure. Is the Dalai Lama like really great? Or like, you know, whatever. We Donald have, Trump and Don Glover. We got both. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Much, yeah. much better. Yeah. 
we have all of that within us. Yeah. And I think I can get so hung up on the ways that I am closer to the spectrum sure. of not being how I wanted to be or not sure. react being reactive or having a conversation when I was tired and hungry and not yeah, yeah, my yeah. best self and yeah. that not going well. Or these moments where I'm like, Oh, I'm glad I like helped that person with that yeah, thing yeah. when it annoyed me. And sure. I feel like I much more often am on the side that I don't want to be on right. and how to reconcile that sure. or how to yeah, just yeah. learn to go through life, liking yourself as a person. Sure. Like where, where are you with that? Man, where am I with that? I am at the place where it just, it is. I don't think I have a love to, I don't think I have to love myself every day. I think I have to just be here every day. I think that some days I'm going to be really annoyed at myself and wish I did more. Some days I'm going to do a ton and feel really good at night as I fall asleep. I think as I go into the next sort of wave of my life, which is really trying to figure out how I'm going to exist in this world, knowing that I'm I'm okay with whatever decision that is is really lovely. Just being like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Like if I if I go down this route that I've been there before, I might learn something really new, and that would be great too. If I push down this weirder route that I'm on right now, I learn something too out of that too. Um, I'm totally okay with being directionless, and also in that having like a pretty strong direction. Sounds like you're tender with yourself and you're nice to yourself and you yeah. pivot quickly. I think that's where I struggle of like, yeah. like last week, Tuesday, I had a great day. Yeah. I like got a lot done. I was pretty productive. I felt okay. Yeah. Wednesday, I woke up like feeling good from that. Yeah. And then I had a shitty day yeah. and I was mad at myself and I was unproductive and yeah. I was really not feeling good. And I had a choice of like Thursday could go either way. And sure. I like, tried to pivot and get yeah. back to more of a Tuesday type sure. of a day. Yeah. And that's, that's my, that's my work. I feel is that yeah. making that comeback time shorter. Sure. Oh pivoting. yeah. 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 It's all about the comeback. Yeah. That's everything. Yeah. I mean, shit. Like Basketball. my whole, I mean, my whole life, like if somebody asked me what Prince with secrets is, I tell them it's a comeback project. Mm. Cause that was, that's what it is. It's a comeback thing. But that idea of like, I had a bad day, so I need to have a better day or I need to do something differently that day. What if you just said like, I had a bad day. Okay. Or just like, it's 5 p.m. and I'm having a really unproductive day. So I'm going to turn this into a resource day. I'm going to mm -hmm. watch three movies and I'm going to get something out of those movies. Yeah. I had that day, I think like a week ago, I watched like three movies in one day. I watched Weatherman with uh, Nicolas Cage. Uh, I watched Groundhog Day with Bill Murray and I watched Schindler's List. Mm. Three very different movies, right? And I, I got something from every one of them. And so for me, when I have those bad days of making, I, I get those bad days of like, cool, I, I know what that angle looks like on a shot and I'm going to be able to use that. And that's, that's sort of how I'm You lean in, it sounds like. Yeah, like I, I, I get what the day is. Like I just yeah. really try not to push it. I like that. Yeah. I understand like, okay, this is the day that I, I read a book and like yeah. I get something for that book. I think if I'm having a bad day making something, I now have to consume something. Yeah. You don't force it. You pivot to Gotta something. Gotta consume. Yeah. yeah. Or play, play video games for an hour. Mm -hmm. and like, cause you never know. Like if you just fucking run yourself up against a wall, you're pretty much not going to find something new. But if you're running up against a wall for a really long time, then you play a video game and somebody tells you a really beautiful story over a video game, like 
fucking great. You just got something out of that day. Yeah. Like that's sort of how I feel about it. I can get so rigid. Like, but I said this was on my list. So I will not be okay unless I check this off my list. And then I'm like white knuckling trying to finish something and it doesn't go well. And I should just, I'll come back to it when I'm in Watch a fucking movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. No, I definitely, I do that a lot. So good. Watch a lot of movies too, but yeah. Same. And I, we should watch movies together. Hell yeah. 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 Okay. Let's do some quick fire ish. Ready questions what's the best thing you've eaten in the last week oh i recovered from a cold and the first thing that i ate when i was able to eat like real food i ate cheese fries <laughs> it's fucking great amazing yeah favorite part of your life right now the moments the today i woke up and i ate a really good egg sandwich and i hung out with a friend and when i came over here i like walked by Jeff Buckley's old apartment on East 12th Street. I got to just stare at it and listen to his music and now I get to be here. Um, my favorite moment of life is just the moments. Mm. Why New York? Why did you want to move here? What are your favorite and least favorite parts of it? Uh, romance. Yeah, New York and romance is, that's number one. It's everything. It's just home in every way. It's uh, collaborators are incredible. The community is insane it's embarrassing sometimes and it's uh, it's amazing and other times it's just sort of um it's just so fucking romantic how is it embarrassing how is new york embarrassing oh man i mean subway just this like idea of like i i'm sleep on the subway all the fucking time and sort of sleeping in with a hundred people in a sweaty car like crying walking down yeah the street. it's just like eating some like sort of it's yeah yeah like, it's just, gross like, it's yeah intense it's yeah extreme it's just, just sort of really fucking weird but then it's really beautiful the great thing about new york is if you do something stupid you can pretty much go one block over and it's like it never happened totally yeah what about talk about how you think new york is romantic Oh, the it's the films, it's the songs, it's the it's the way people see New York, not the way New York is. The lenses of New York is really beautiful. Like just listening to like all these records, I really love. I was sort of written in New York time, and I'm just sort of like walking down the streets, being like, "Yeah, I get that lens." Or seeing a film and being like, "Cool, this is how this person filmed New York at that moment." It's just fucking, it's so, it's the lenses of other people's eyes. Like I can walk down second half and it's just second half, right? But if I walk down second half and I put it in the lens of, you know, whoever, that's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Did you always want to live here? Yeah. Oh God, forever. Yeah. No, me too. Yeah. Okay. This is, I usually frame this question as you're trapped on a deserted island and you can only bring with you one of these things, Yeah. but you can, it's really just a way for you to recommend things. So. They can be all-time favorites or just things you're into right now. Film, piece of music, book, TV. Book, uh, Little Life by Hanya. Any other books you want to recommend while we're... Really love Imogen Benet's Nevada. Digging Otessa. Love my year of rest and relaxation. Edward Leve wrote a book on suicide where he writes it in the second... What's the second voice? Second... Uh, First person? First, second, second person. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's great. Love it. And... Um, Simon Critchie, I read sad books. Simon Critchie also wrote a book on suicide that it's really good. Albums, man, where to begin? Who better oblivion community center? Come on, that record is out of this world. Um, Phoebe Bridger's Connor Oprah is like so good. 
Jeff Buckley. I could listen to my sketches for my sweetheart, the drunk for the rest of my life and be content. Elliot Smith. If I had to take one album, I'd probably take, Ooh, probably take XO, but yeah, they're all, they're all beautiful in their own rights. You are free about cat flowers. My favorite, every Kanye West album, but if I had to choose Jesus because he's so selfishly brilliant in that moment. TV show House. I love I love the writing oh, in House. Shit. I think Hugh Laurie is an incredible actor on that show. Specifically the last five episodes of season five where he kind of loses his mind. I think are brilliantly written. It's just like an incredible piece of the world. Old Twilight Zone, Breaking Bad, obviously. Yeah, those are sort of my worlds in that. Movies? Films. Oh, that's the fun one. So I write every film that I consume down. Cool. I have a list myself too. First and foremost, this is top of the list, Goodwill Hunting. I haven't seen it. Whoa. Did Matt, da- Matt, Matt Damon? Matt Damon, that's all Matt Damon. Yeah, he wrote that with oh, Ben Affleck. He, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, Tim and Ben. Um, okay, I need to brilliant, watch it. Brilliant, 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 brilliant film. Um, Goodwill Hunting is probably the, my favorite film. Mid-90s, incredible. I haven't seen it. I missed so that So good. One. Jonah Hill. Just, I listened to every interview about it, but I haven't great. seen it. Did uh, you see Skate Kitchen? No, I haven't yet. It's kind of like, I haven't seen mid-90s, but it's kind of what I think of like a female version okay. of that. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. And it's here in New York. Okay. I think you'd really yeah, like it. It came out this into summer that. too. Yeah. What else we got here? Life Itself uh, is written by the guy who writes This Is Us. It's very set in that tone. I think it's really brilliant. Eight Miles Forever, a classic. Borg and McEnroe is great. Shia LaBeouf is fantastic. All of the Rocky series, specifically Rocky Three. Silver Linings Playbook, come on, Bradley Cooper, it's best. Ben is back, which is Lucas Hedges. His attic is fucking great. October Sky, Jake Gyllenhaal, oh my God. Um, the McQueen documentary, it's brilliant. Don't worry, he won't get too far in foot. Um, Jack Black, Joaquin Phoenix um, plays an alcoholic, it's brilliant. Garden State, the classic. Oh my God, Garden State. Fucking hell. Oh, the Squid and the Whale, Jeff Daniels, that it's like fucking best. The Twelfth Man is a fantastic war film set in... Uh, Norway, I think. Free podcast, people. And look at the recommendations yeah. you are getting. It's uh, it's uh, it's in Oslo. And it's, it's a brilliant film about this man escaping Hitler. And I, I think it's fucking great. Yeah, I'm so happy this is being recorded and we'll have show notes so I don't have to take notes right now. Yeah, the last one to see a tree is Matthew McConaughey tries to kill himself in Japanese. When did that? How long Uh, Five years old, maybe? We have IMDb. We we got a a little doc this boat. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to compare. Just give you everything. Yeah, (laughs) clearly I need to watch more movies. Okay, this is your kind of greatest lesson on, on different things. Greatest lesson on creativity. Just keep making Greatest lesson on sobriety. Uh, don't drink. Wait, wait, wait. Drink water. <laughs> Great. Greatest lesson on friendship. Know that they end. Mm. Greatest lesson on romantic relationships. Wear a condom. Greatest lesson on this is kind of longer feeling, like being a gooey person in life and relationships and creative work. Feelings can be so intense. So. Just greatest lesson on feeling a oh, lot of feelings. Feeling? Oh, letting them out. Don't hold feelings. They're, they're bad if you hold them up. Just let them go very quickly. That's very oh, yeah. to the, let it out. the name oh, of this podcast. Yeah, yeah no, you got to let them out quickly. Greatest lesson on spirituality slash what do you think happens when we die? God, all of that. 
don't get caught up in religion when you think about God. Just think about something bigger than yourself that gets you from doing something stupid. For me, it's my father. Um, for other people, it's different things. You know, a cup of water can be your God. Who knows? Greatest lesson of spirituality is don't close doors that aren't ready to be closed. And just really breathe. Pay attention to the moment. We always talk about body image on this podcast and being a person, being a woman in the world. How do you make yourself or have a sense of self where you feel like you're existing at your, as yourself in the world through your style, through how you yeah. feel about your body. Where uh, are you with that? I, I don't have to really have much hangups of how I exist in the world. I mean, my style, it's weird. I, my style is like ranges. I wear a lot of white tees. I wear a lot of black pants and some ripped jeans. I wear a lot of white t-shirts for me. Shoes tell a lot from stuff of people. Usually my outfits were centered around my shoes, weirdly enough. But I love my body. I love my... Do you feel like you took time to get there? And is there anything in particular that helped or just just time and getting comfortable? Time, letting go, realizing that's not the most important thing about me. Cool. Much more interested in my mind than my butt. (laughs) So smart. I heard you say in another podcast that one of your greatest fears is not letting it all out, which is, again, so perfect for where we are right now. This project, Let It Out, is all about honesty, openness, messiness, flaws. Can you talk about what you mean when you say you're, is that still your biggest fear? When I said that, I was very afraid that I was going to take the story of Laura and I to the grave. The story of what? Laura and I and Francis mm. Yeah, I was really afraid that that wouldn't ever get out. I was afraid people know everything now. That I uh, I was I'm not I'm very late into this podcast of name dropping, but one of my favorite friends in sobriety is Lena Dunham, and she has been fucking incredible to speak with and talk about. And I was working on Francis Secrets at the time that her profile in the cut was dropping, and she did a Dex podcast too. And like her, like I very much got sober with her and um, it was secretive on both of our ends. And when Friends with Secrets came out and when her piece came out, like we were both were kind of like, okay, no more secrets. Like that was sort of the text message we had was like, no more secrets. Like we have no more secrets. And that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, Man, I love her. And yeah, so letting it all, I've got it sort of out. It's out. Um, For me now, um, my greatest fear is not making more things. I've told the stories that I want to tell. Now I want to refine and retell them and tell new stories and learn other stories. I just, my greatest fear is having to stop making things. Mm. Why is that a fear? Do you? Because I love it. I just want to, it's my, it's how I stay high. But do you think that there's anything that would prevent you from doing that? Yeah, dying. So then the, your greatest fear is dying. Yeah. Weird, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is what this is about. This is this is let it out. And as you know, then the name of this podcast and the name of this project. So do you feel like you let it all out for today? Did I bring <sighs> you dry for all your wisdom? Anything you wished I would have asked about? You I didn't get to talk it. about? I think we got it all. Yeah? Um, you feel good? Yeah, my mind's very clear right now. How's your mind? Great. Good. Great. So yeah. we, we end with with something fun, I oh. think. We, instead of holding it in, we take a deep breath and hold it and then let it out together. Okay. okay? Like that. You yeah. ready? Okay. So inhale, hold it in and let it out. 
always feels a little better, right? It's the best. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. This is amazing. This is great. Okay, that was the episode with Robin. I hope she's in my life for a very long time. I loved meeting her and chatting with her in this episode, and I hope this is the first of many collaborations between us. So in the meantime, read the articles that we talked about today, her piece in The Atlantic and in Broadly in particular, and definitely follow her on Instagram. I think you'll really like that. Okay, that's the episode. We're going to get to likes and learns in a second, but I just want to make a couple quick announcements. My Journaling 101 show on Blueprint launched last week, and I'd love it if you checked it out. That'd be really cool. I worked really hard on it, and I'm really proud of it, and it's there. So check it out. I'd love to know your thoughts. I had food poisoning when we shot it, so I'm wondering if you can tell. Let me know. Link to that is in the show notes. And a couple of you have been wondering about wanting to start a podcast yourself and sending me questions about that. And I have something for you. I do one-on-one advising, so you can email me about that. Or I'm going to be relaunching Let a Podcast Out, which is my class, my virtual class, where I teach everything from how to come up with a concept, an idea, and how to put it onto iTunes and Spotify and get it out in the world. Podcasting has given me so much. It's the greatest thing that I've ever done. This course covers everything, even how to get sponsors and get people to listen to it. So that will be coming out in the spring. But for now, if you want to take a mini tour of the class and get the first two modules, you can do that for free. And the link to that is also in the show notes. Okay, that's all the announcements. I will be right back with likes and learns. But in the meantime, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being so nice to me. Yeah, that's all I want to say right now. Likes and learns. Here we go. Every week in this LNL segment, I share something I've been learning and something I've been liking from the past week. This week in particular, I learned so much. These last several weeks, I've been learning a lot about myself, about the world, very rapidly. But I'll just share one thing. I'm trying to say I'm sorry less. And this maybe is also a like, but there's this great website called She's Not Sorry that my friends made. And I've been working on an essay for the fullest, exploring why I say sorry so much and how it holds me back in relationships and in work and in life. And I did a deep dive into a lot of the research about this. And I really love this website. So I'll link to She's Not Sorry and you should check it out. There are stories of women saying sorry when they don't actually mean sorry and why we do that. So I'll link to that. I'll keep working on saying I'm sorry less. And something I've been liking, if you're in New York or you're in the East Village, go to Superiority Burger. It's this really fun burger place in my neighborhood that is vegetarian. And I went there with a friend this weekend and had a delightful time. It was a lovely food experience. I want to have more of those. So check it out. It's right by Tompkins Square Park on 9th Street. Not an ad, but very open to it. If you're listening, Superiority Burger. 
Maybe we should do a meetup there. Would you guys like that? Maybe in the spring, it's very small, so we could all go and get a burger or a broccoli salad or something and sit in the park and have a picnic and talk about our feelings. What do you say? I think it'd be pretty fun. We still also have to do that book club. We got a lot to do, you guys. Right now, join the listener Facebook group. That's where you can connect with each other and with me, and we can actually make these ideas happen. Also, very important, please sign up for the Let It Out letter. That is my monthly newsletter that will be more frequently eventually, but right now it's monthly. So join that, and I will talk to you guys next week. I love you. Thank you for listening. Bye. This episode is supported by Four Sigmatic. I use their products basically every day. I always have them in my bag. I'm always giving them to friends because they've really helped me in my life. They make mushroom products. So these aren't button mushrooms or shiitake mushrooms, although I love those too. These are superfood mushrooms like lion's mane, chaga, reishi, and they do different things. There's some that make you calmer, some that add energy. And I've actually had the founder of this company, Taro, on my podcast a couple months ago, and I've actually known him for years. What's cool about Four Sigmatic is they make these delicious elixirs. There's a matcha one, there's a coffee one, there's a hot cacao that's maybe my favorite. There's a hot cacao that even has some cayenne in it. It's a little bit spicy. I love that one. And they have a chai that's maybe my favorite. Amanda loves putting the chaga elixir blended warm with some coconut milk. I like having mine with macadamia nut milk. I even put them in my yogurt. You guys, I love all their products so much. I really, really do. I'm not just saying that. And I honestly think that you guys will too. If you haven't tried them yet, this is the week to try them. You can get 15% off your order by going to foursigmatic.com slash Katie and make sure you use the code Katie, K-A-T-I-E at checkout. That lets them know that I sent you. Also, it will give you your 15% off discount. Their chai, if you like chai, it's my favorite. It doesn't have all of the sugar and sweetness that some of the chais that I've had before have and it's nice to have one that I don't get the sugar crash or the sugar headache with but tastes amazing and has some extra superfoods in it as well so check it out check out all of their products they also have a mushroom academy on their blog that you can go in and actually learn about the science behind these mushrooms so if you want to learn more check that out or check out my episode with tarot This week's episode is brought to you in part by my favorite snacks, Emmy's Organics. They're delicious. They're made with simple ingredients like organic coconut and almond flour. They never use artificial ingredients or preservatives or natural flavors. They're certified organic, gluten-free, vegan, grain-free, soy-free. They're great with a cup of coffee as a little dessert or tea as I like to have them. My friend Carolina puts them in her kid's lunch as a little treat. Great for on the go. I always have them in my backpack literally every day. I usually have at least one for breakfast, sometimes a couple and sometimes a couple in the afternoon. You can get them at Whole Foods or Sprouts or CVS. They're available nationwide. 
and on their website at Emmys Organics, where you can get 40% off your first order when you use the code Let It Out at checkout. They're a certified B Corp, which is considered the highest standard of corporate responsibility. They were founded in a home kitchen in 2009 by my friend Samantha and her husband Ian, and they employ Burmese refugees and support them with this beautiful working environment and great benefits like paid time off. And I just love this company so much, as much as I love their snacks. And I really love these snacks, you guys. Like, I really am very into the peanut butter flavor, the brownie flavor, the chocolate chip cookie flavor, very into. The peanut butter is my favorite. Anyway, if you want to try them, pick them up at the store or go to emmysorganics.com and get 40% off your order when you use the code Let It Out. I'm back. One last thing. If you like this episode, share it with a friend, someone you think that would like it or be inspired by it or feel less alone through it or just be entertained by it. Send it to them. And if you could leave a review on iTunes, that would be really helpful. Those genuinely help more people find the show and I'd be really grateful. Thanks again. I'll talk to you guys next week. Oh, and the guest next week is Lacey Phillips again. We're talking, it's Valentine's Day week. So we're going, is, is it Valentine's Day? It's the week of Valentine's Day when it will be coming out. And we're going to be talking about relationships and love and romantic love. It's going to be a very interesting conversation. Okay. I'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye.